It's that time again for another episode of the Brain That Named Itself podcast. I'm David Doris, and in the studio is Stephanie Perano. Hello. Oops, talked right over you. Yeah, just speak. (laughs) And Dr. Amanda Krenzel. Hello. And we're going to start a series on brain pathology. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're going to do, I guess several different pathologies over the next couple of podcasts, right? Yeah. 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 Um, today, I, Amanda's going to start us off with um, CTE, which stands for? Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy. Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy. You know what's hard for me about those, that word is the PH and then the TH? Mm-hmm. It's like... Encephalopathy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, so I wanted to start the series with this one uh, just because I think it's definitely a neurological disorder that people, especially recently, have heard a lot. It gets a lot of attention in the news and probably likely the association you have with CT is with the NFL and mm-hmm. football yeah. players that have been diagnosed with CT. And of course, you know, there's been... Um, there's been like movies and documentaries and a lot of media attention to this particular neurological disorder. And I think it's a good one to start with because um, in terms of like describing pathology, it's actually pretty recent. So mm-hmm. we can like kind of get into like how neuro neurologists and neuroscience go about uh characterizing a neurological disease and kind of what goes into ultimately people being diagnosed with these diseases because it's actually quite complex Mm, and i actually learned quite a bit about how that works Mm -hmm. by reading about this so yeah (laughs) so um first just to kind of define chronic traumatic encephalopathy it is a neurodegenerative disease so what that means is that um It, of course, is a disease of the nervous system, but the degenerative part really means that it has worsening symptoms over time, which probably a lot of the diseases we're going to talk about can be considered neurodegenerative diseases. Can I interrupt and ask a question? So, well, maybe you're going to get into this a little (laughs) bit later. Maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead, but do you have like... The degeneration that happens, Mm -hmm. is it because of multiple injuries or would it take like a one big injury for it to cause damage and then the brain itself would start degenerating? You know kind kind of what I mean? Yes, I do know what you're talking about. So we will talk about that for sure. Okay. Um, And I'll definitely get really into that because that's really important for what defines what CTE is as compared to like a traumatic brain injury or yeah. something else. Okay. Um, so typically CTE is associated with head injuries. And what's really interesting about CTE as compared to some other uh, neurological disorders is that it is, from what I could tell, there doesn't seem to be any evidence thus far of a genetic component to who develops CTE. Mm. It seems to be more strictly based on 
the number of injuries or the history of concussions that you have trauma, yeah. and trauma to the brain. So in some respects, you know, uh, brain injury can lead to other kinds of neurological disorders, but there's definitely some genetic components to a lot of neurological mm -hmm. disorders yeah. of who is more susceptible. But at least from what this, that's not to say there isn't anything mm -hmm. to, to, to reiterate what I said in the beginning of the episode. A lot of what we know about CTE is really things that we've discovered in the last 20 years. So there is not a lot of data out there. But so there could possibly be some genetic yeah. component about who's going to develop CTE or not. But most of the evidence seems to suggest that it's really linked more to things that happen in the brain, such as injuries. Mm -hmm. The amount of trauma or repeated trauma? Yeah. So so when we get into kind of like who develops CTE, uh -huh. I'll definitely get into like the statistics okay. on like what ends up determining CTE developing. I got you. Stop um, jumping the gun, Dave. I know. <laughs> I did it too. Yeah. I know you guys are just so excited. We are. Yes. Um, so I am very excited about this episode. The symptoms include... Uh, Behavioral problems, mood problems, so that's things like not being able to control your emotions or maybe depression, anxiety, paranoia, um, and problems with thinking. And what that really entails, it has a lot to do with like, um, we've talked in previous episodes about like executive function. Uh -huh. yeah. So the ability to like plan out your activities, to concentrate, to keep in mind, like short-term memory, that kind of stuff. Um, and usually these symptoms do not actually begin appearing until many, many years after injuries have occurred, so hmm. even decades after injuries occur, which also makes this a particularly difficult kind of disease to study, especially in terms of the causal factors, because you could suffer injuries really young like in childhood yeah and then maybe then you, you wouldn't develop this particular disorder until you're in your 40s 50s 60s okay um so and ultimately one of the worst outcomes that can happen over time of someone who has cte is they will ultimately develop dementia which dementia is a very broad kind of term that we use uh, especially neurologists use to describe a really like a whole host of symptoms, but a lot of it has to do with memory, memory. loss, um, this ability to uh, have issues with thinking, problem solving. Um, and in, in terms of memory loss, it, it's all kinds of memory loss. So you mm. have personal memory loss, you have spatial memory loss. Um, if you think about like um, maybe an older person who has dementia, like Alzheimer's or something, you can they they often get lost. Yeah, like that yeah. has that has a lot to do with your spatial memory. So, um, in in a lot of ways, chronic traumatic encephalopathy just from the symptoms doesn't seem all that different from other neurodegenerative disorders, maybe like Alzheimer's, and that actually has to do with the fact that it has a lot of very similar presentations in the brain. In, in terms of like uh, what is actually happening in the brain of chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Um, but before we get to that, what I kind of want to talk about a little bit is kind of the history of what how we came to discover CTE. Yeah, because uh, to me it's, you know, it's the thing that 
you can't really, as you mentioned, diagnose when as it's happening, right? It comes, it mm-hmm. manifests way later. So who, like, yeah, who discovered the first brain? You know that yes. had CTE. How did so, that happen? Um, the first time that anything like CTE was ever described was actually in 1928, hmm. and that was by Dr. Martlin. Um, and they actually described uh, this condition called punch drunk syndrome. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of that. Um, and really where that comes from is uh, the fact that who was presenting with this, these clinical symptoms were boxers. Mm. And so the thought was that because boxers were getting hit in the head over and over again, that it was causing brain damage. And that's why they called it punch drunk. And you kind of associate the drunk part with being like when someone's drunk, they exhibit like a lot of maybe some of these symptoms yeah. very acutely. But in a person who is maybe presenting with this punk drunk syndrome, it's just all the time. Okay. Um, and interesting. <laughs> a lot of the early work up until very recently was actually done in boxers. Mm. Um, so the actual phrase or more technical term that was given to this was um, dementia pugilistica. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, which basically literally means dementia, dementia caused, caused by, by punching. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for a long time, you know, this was really continuing to only be studied in boxers. And it was not until uh, 1940 where the first use of the term chronic traumatic encephalopathy was used to actually describe these particular symptoms. Now, there is some controversy of whether what was being described back in the early part of the 20th century was actually CTE, because Mm, um, uh, one of the things we're going to get into is the way that CTE is diagnosed now is all post-mortem mm-hmm. so you can't get you technically you can't get a cte diagnosis unless you have died and a pathologist has dissected your brain and stained your brain to actually see the pathology that cte presents in the brain um, we don't actually have or it's being developed and i'll get into some of the technologies that actually might lead to uh pre-mortem diagnoses, diagnoses of cte yeah. that happen but uh, for right now, it's a strictly postmortem diagnosis that someone receives. And of course, back then, we didn't have the same kinds of histology technologies and really even know what to look for in terms of ba- brain atrophy or these signature biomarkers that we're going to get into. Um, but, you know, over time, especially by the time that we get into really the 1990s is when we actually start uh, describing brain changes that are happening in these people who have uh, m- either multiple concussions or in the case of uh, people who are not necessarily like um, uh, athletes, you might mm-hmm. actually get to the point of calling these traumatic brain injuries. Um, and through the 90s and into the early 2000s is actually when many scientists who I'll get into were able to characterize the pathology of the brain and then start connecting this back to a history of concussions. Mm. And so there likely punch drunk syndrome is CTE. Um, but 
you know, it's hard to really say for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons that there is some controversy about that is because uh, the boxers who were studied were much older than people now who are developing CTE, especially the NFL and other football players who's, yeah. who have since been diagnosed. Yeah. Um, and their symptoms might not necessarily have been as extreme, uh, but there could be a lot of reasons for that. One of it could be, just be that today there's just more concussions that are occurring. There's a lot of things now that are very different from the 1920s. Um, for example, like, Sports is actually a much bigger thing in terms of like how yeah. many people play it, how important it, and competitive it has become compared to the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And we'll yeah. kind of get yeah. into a little bit about why this might actually be happening so much in especially professional sports players, like football players. And also just in general, it might be that diagnosing concussions has gotten um a lot better so we actually know people's histories with concussions a lot easier now and of course detecting symptoms of dementia might be a lot better now compared to back Mm -hmm. then um so yeah so let's kind of get into the different ways that now we would diagnose cte okay so one of the ways that you diagnose cte is you actually just do sort of a gross morphological analysis of the brain itself. So once someone has died and an autopsy is performed, you can take the brain out and you can do a lot of different measurements to kind of determine like what's going on. And so some of the neuropathological findings of CTE is a reduction in brain rate, an enlargement of the lateral and third ventricles, a thinning of the corpus callosum, which if you remember from earlier episodes, the corpus callosum is that fiber track that connects the two hemispheres of the brain. Um, And also you can visibly see scarring and neuronal loss throughout the brain. And this is without doing any kind of special techniques like staining the brain for anything, that you can just see that physically the brain is much smaller. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there is neurons that are just dying. And also axons are dying. A lot of just the brain is just atrophying in general. And actually specifically compared to like Alzheimer's disease, Alzheimer's disease also has a lot of brain atrophy. Um, the thing that's really specific about CTE compared to maybe like Alzheimer's, for example, is that's you get what I was about to ask. Yeah. You. <laughs> is you get a lot of cortical loss in the brain in CTE. In CTE, so mm. so there's not, not I was going to say there's not cortical loss in Alzheimer's. I mean, really, one of the biggest characteristics of Alzheimer's is degradation of the hippocampus, which is a part of the brain that's so important for making long term mm-hmm. memories and mm-hmm. memory in general. Um, and there is hippocampal damage in CTE. But in general, there just seems to be more widespread dispersed damage to the brain in CTE. And if we think about why CTE is happening, it kind of makes a lot of sense. So as people get concussions, which a concussion is basically when your brain uh, is smacked against the sides of the skull. Mm -hmm. And so uh, essentially your brain has protection around it. First, it's floating around in cerebral spinal fluid, um, which 
you could imagine something that's floating around in a liquid. If you like were to shake it around like in a bottle, for example, <laughs> it wouldn't hit the sides as hard as if there was no liquid in there. Yeah. Um, so that's one way the brain is protected. Another way the brain is protected is that you have these structures called meninges, which are really literally layers of tissue that also surround the brain. And that's also meant to be there to help protect the brain. But a concussion happens when someone's head has been either hit or jostled so hard that despite those protective barriers, the brain still smacks against the skull and it causes some kind of injury. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you've had a traumatic brain injury. A traumatic brain injury typically means you have maybe blood or other okay. kinds of uh, more acute uh, inflammatory events. Yeah. It can be associated with traumatic brain injury. It might not. A concussion could just be, could can be a symptom of traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. okay. But you don't necessarily like, uh, have to be diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury to have a concussion. concussion. Okay. And so the way you get a con you get diagnosed with a concussion is basically you have to have some kind of symptom after the head injury. So and a lot of that, it means you lose consciousness. Okay. That's a huge uh, uh, example that you've mm -hmm. had a concussion. And doctors will often ask, did you lose consciousness? And if you did, they're probably going to diagnose you with a concussion. Um, you have some temporary memory loss, especially short-term memory loss around the event. Um, headaches, difficulty thinking, concentration or balance can be off. People can experience nausea, blurred vision, sleep disturbances, and mood changes. So really what's happening is your brain is being injured and there's going to be inflammation that happens yeah. because of the injury. Because just like if you were to injure your leg or anything, your immune system is going to have a response to try to deal with that injury. Um, and really, there's so many symptoms associated with this because, I mean, any part of your brain really can get smacked when that happens. Mm -hmm. So, like, oftentimes, you know, it can be the front part of the brain that gets mm -hmm. hit. Um but I think what's especially important to note is that just because you don't get a concussion doesn't mean that damage has not happened to your brain. So actually, uh, when it comes to sports-related concussions, fewer than 10% of children who receive a sports-related concussion actually don't lose consciousness, mm. which is one of the quintessential markers that you well, have concussion. received a concussion. And the thing that's so important about CTE is it's not just that it's associated with these, how many concussions that you've experienced throughout your life, but also these what are called subconcussive hits. So a subconcussive hit is where you're just below the threshold mm -hmm. of a doctor saying you have received a concussion because you're not really presenting with symptoms that are associated with concussion, mm -hmm. but you have hit your head and likely there is going to be neuronal loss because you have hit your head. Yeah. Um, and so if we think about sports-related concussions, especially in children, if they're having a lot of these events where they're not losing consciousness, so they're not necessarily getting concussions, but they might be getting these subconcussive hits, what we know about the CTE literature is that these subconcussive hits and the amount that you get is actually positively correlated hmm. later on in life with ultimately being diagnosed with CTE. with CTE. So basically anytime 
your brain is injured, whether it's a subconcussive or getting a concussion or even going all full-blown TBI, you are increasing your risk factor of basically being diagnosed later on or developing symptoms of CTE. So you asked about whether one big event could essentially lead to CTE. Yeah. Uh, so there's actually, it's kind of hard to say like that the causal, there's, so basically we don't have a direct causal link between concussions and CTE actually. There's a lot of supportive correlative evidence yeah, between no. it. But it's actually, yeah. But it, you know, to say something is causative, you really need to have an experiment in which you directly show that, that just this one thing leads to something mm -hmm. else, yeah. right? Yeah. So what's kind of some of the evidence that exists that concussions and these subconcussive hits are related to developing CTE? Um. So in general, one of the issues with this is that the people who study CTE, um, there's like a there's definitely a group of neurologists who really focus in on this, and they are actually at a hospital in Boston, and they receive brains through the brain bank, mm -hmm. and then they will do studies on these brains. But you know, you have to actually donate your brain to science yeah. and to the brain bank to actually have it in these studies. So there's actually a sampling bias that's yeah. going on here. Yeah. People who maybe already are experiencing signs of dementia, memory loss, uh, yeah. mood problems, et cetera, and especially if they've already had this history of concussions that they know about, maybe they are NFL players, and obviously, especially now that it's been in the media so much, you're more likely to donate your brain than someone who doesn't yeah. have these. Um, but there have been a few studies that have looked at the actual incidence rate of people who have concussions versus people who don't. So um, in one study, uh, they looked at 66 brains from the brain bank and found that 21 of the 66 brains, or 31%, of those individuals who had a all these brains had a history of repeated brain trauma mm -hmm. whether that would be traumatic brain injuries or concussions or whatever so 31 percent of the brains that had repeated brain trauma d exhibited signs of cte pathology and another study um well i'm sorry in that same study when they looked at 198 brain, brains that did not have any documented history of repeated brain drama, there was no evidence of any of those mm, brains mm -hmm. having CTE. Um, and in similar realm, in another study, they looked at 139 cases um, of multiple system atrophy, so meaning atrophy of multiple systems of the brain, and they found that of those atrophied brains, only eight of them actually really exhibited the CTE pathology that has been described. Mm -hmm. um, and only half of those eight actually had a known history of head trauma. So, huh. okay. So what this is kind of indicating is that even if you've had a repeated history of head trauma, that doesn't mean you're definitively going to develop CTE. Mm -hmm. So what about if you've just had one big major event? 
So another study that looked at individuals who only had a, a single event trauma in their history, they looked at 33 brains and they found no evidence of CTE. Okay. So what this kind of indicates to me, at least, is that repeated head trauma definitely increases your likelihood of your brain developing CTE, CTE. but it does not definitively mean you would have mm -hmm. CTE. But just because you have one a head trauma event, I don't think you have to worry too much about <laughs> getting CTE. And yeah. uh, just to let everyone know, like, we're talking about this in a scientific context. Don't take any medical advice from <laughs> anything that we no. say. Always talk to your doctor about any medical questions you have. But at least from the data, it seems to indicate, especially if you've had no uh, history of head trauma, you're probably very likely not ever going to develop CTE. CTE yeah. Uh, and if you've had one single event, you're also fairly unlikely to develop CTE. But of course, this is just one study that looked at 33 brains. Mm -hmm. So, Are yeah. you planning to have some head trauma? Is that why you're asking? Yeah. Okay. I need to know the numbers. <laughs> yeah. How uh -huh. many times? How many times? Did, I can... <laughs> before you're, you're, you're got to yeah, worry. Exactly. All right. So you guys want to get into some more of the pathology? Yes. What's going on? Let's do that. All right. So we talked about how these concussive events lead to brain trauma, which can lead to injury and ultimately <laughs> inflammation of the brain. So what's actually f literally going on in the cells of the brain yeah. that's like leading to that? So one of the markers that's been associated with um, CTE pathology is the accumulation of what are called tau proteins hmm. in the brain. Um, so tau proteins are uh, a group of six different protein isoforms, and they're all produced from alternative splicing from a gene known as microtubule-associated protein tau. Okay. So what that literally means is yeah, that- Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> translation. Yeah, so what that means is that you have this gene that can be spliced into six different kinds of proteins. Mm -hmm. And these proteins can have different functions. And one of the major functions of these proteins is that they basically bind to microtubules. Mm -hmm. So microtubules are like, you can kind of think of them as sort of like the building blocks of cells, cells especially yeah. in, in this context of neurons. They're really involved in building those long axons. Mm -hmm that are going to have a one cell reach another cell, especially yeah. like really far away. Yeah. Um, but all, all neurons, regardless how big they are, have microtubules. And so what these microtubules do is they form these like long columns and the tau proteins are basically are binding to these microtubule proteins and they're gonna help hold these columns together and basically help with holding the structure of these together and these microtubules ultimately what forms the structure of the cell. Mm -hmm. Okay, so okay. If, if we go by that, it sounds like my like the tau proteins are good. The pro tau proteins are very good. And that maybe, I don't know, just playing devil's advocate here, the more <laughs> we have, the better they hold the columns. Well, that's one right. way to look at it. But what's actually happening in the CTE pathology, what they see is that you have an accumulation of these tau proteins together and not necessarily oh, where they're supposed to not be. Not where they're, okay. <laughs> and so what essentially is happening is these tau proteins, because 
they're being aggregated in other places. They're not holding the microtubules together. So what does that mean? If they're not mm. holding the microtubules together, it means the structure of what makes the cell really have its skeleton, mm-hmm. yeah, also known as the sky- cytoskeleton, um, is going to break down. And if that breaks down, the cell is not going to be able to function normally anymore. Or pass information onto another neuron. Yeah, another neuron. exactly. And it might just die altogether, which if we think back to the gross morphology of CT, there's a lot of neuron Neuronal loss. Death. You get yeah. a lower brain weight, which is because of the loss of those cells. And so what they think is that these tau proteins, when they are aggregating like this, they are... Uh, basically not doing their job and it's ultimately leading to neuron death. Yeah. Um, There's other ways that neuron death is probably happening. So if you're having a inflammatory response in the brain, um, you actually have a recruitment of a lot of these different kinds of cells that can actually eat neurons. Uh, One of those kinds of cells is microglia. Mm -hmm. So microglia are basically the they are the immune cells of the brain. Yeah. So the brain and the nervous system in general is kind of special from other parts of the body because it kind of has its own immune system. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it's not. There's definitely there's been contention within neuro between in within neuroscience about whether the brain is completely protected from our more general immune system or there is actually some communication between the brain and the immune system. And it seems like there's more and more evidence that this idea that it's completely protected from our immune system and it has its own exclusive immune system is not really true. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you can kind of think of is, unlike maybe someplace else in your body, your immune system is not going to actually uh, attack the brain in the same way that it attacks other parts of the body is to get rid of infection yeah. and stuff. And that's because the brain has essentially developed this way of protecting itself against pathogens so pathogens can't get in, but also a lot of other kinds of cells and chemicals can't mm-hmm. get in as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um. So it has really, it's, it, it does have a lot of its own unique immune functions. And one of those functions is microglia. Yeah. And so basically what microglia do is when the brain is not injured, they're quiescent or they're silent, they're not really having a lot of activity. But when you have an injury, they're going to become very active. And what they do is they initiate a lot of these immune system functions and they can literally like eat away at different cells. So like, why would you want that to happen, right? That seems like really counterintuitive because you want to maintain and protect your cells. But if you have injured cells, it kind of does make sense why you would want to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have pathogens and other things that are in the brain, you also want some kind of way of getting rid of Mm -hmm. those. Yeah. So just because biology – just because we know how a biological system works doesn't mean that it always makes logical, perfect sense, mm-hmm. right? So don't, don't think that, like, <laughs> it's a perfectly designed system. It totally isn't. Right. And, and this is one example of, like, how yeah. it the something that's really good, which is helping with inflammation, using the immune system to get rid of the bad things, can actually lead to really long-term bad things for yourself, like losing too many neurons, so could we think of this kind of as an autoimmune dis- disease? You know, when like when your own immune system starts attacking your own body. Mm-hmm. So could 
is this kind of parallel to that when microglia just begin to become super active and then eating away cells? Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Like, really, we don't know a ton about, like, the the state of microglia throughout the, like, basically, so basically, because CTE is really studied post-mortem, yeah. we don't know a whole lot about what's happening while symptoms are manifesting. And what's really interesting is that um, there are brains in the brain bank and have been studied of people who have multiple concussions and then their brain after postmortem is diagnosed with CTE, but they didn't necessarily show a lot of these quintessential symptoms, symptoms. Okay. Yeah. that we talk about. So there's actually sort of a disconnect in how your pathology of your brain looks and how causative that is to actually what you're ultimately going to show behaviorally. Yeah. So unclear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so that's tau. Okay. And you know, there have definitely there are definitely are other biological <laughs> markers like these things called neurofibrillary tangles or amyloid plaques, but I didn't really want to get into those as much. But um, one of the things you should know is that tau is also a marker of Alzheimer's mm -hmm. disease. Yeah. But the distinction is that, again, that the tau that you're finding in CTE is actually found in different brain regions necessarily than Alzheimer's disease. Okay. So whenever they... Uh, are actually measuring tau in a brain postmortem. So what they're doing is they're basically using an antibody that binds to tau. You can kind of think of proteins as being very sticky. Mm -hmm. And so these antibodies are really specific to that sticky part of that protein. So it's going to find it and it's going to bind to it. And then we can utilize different staining methods to sort of see where it is in the brain. And so... That's basically what they're doing whenever they receive these brains. Um, and they basically find them, first of all, they're really aggregated, not just in neurons, but also in cells known as astrocytes, mm. which astrocytes are a form of glia. And what's important to know is that in a non-injured brain, you won't see tau in these astrocytes like in just a normal healthy brain okay you'll you'll see that you'll see tau in neurons but you but won't see it, we'll see it necessarily in the, astrocytes. in the astrocytes um as well as the in the oligodendrocytes but that's what you but you will see a lot of these in a cte brain um you also find a lot of tau in these brains in the different cortical layers throughout the cortex and especially in the frontal cortex so as i mm -hmm. mentioned you, this might be this you know this is speculation but this is might be due to when you have a concussion oftentimes your brain especially the front of your brain yeah. is smacking be against the skull like, yeah. with insane injury yeah so if you think of this as being just strictly due to injury to the brain it kind of makes sense that that's where you're going to see some of these pathologies mm -hmm. um you do see in the hippocampus as well, which is where you see a lot of tau accumulation in Alzheimer's disease. So there is some overlap. But in general, what really makes CTE distinct is that it's just way more widespread and throughout the brain as opposed to Alzheimer's disease, which we're going to do an episode on Alzheimer's yep. disease. Yep. So we'll get into sort of like maybe why that is, why Alzheimer's really targets specific parts of the brain. But 
Um, so that's maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so that's essentially what, in terms of like when they take these brains and stain for them, and they you get a diagnosis CT, they're gonna do like weighing your brain. They're gonna stain for tau. They're also gonna stain for other things. And if you meet all these criteria, then you get a diagnosis of CT. Okay, so let's get into the like who gets it and especially why sports people have been focused on so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so again, one of the issues is definitely sampling bias. So when we talked about punch drunk syndrome, it was really that they were sampling from a lot of boxers, right? right? Um, but in more recent I guess I don't really know the history too much of sports. Like, I don't know if like- <laughs> Yay, sports. Yeah, I don't know if boxing <laughs> used to be like way, way more popular than it is today or it's just that football. It, it, it was. Yeah. Boxing was a lot more popular back in the yeah. day. Um, But tr- typically now, most of the cases of CTE that have been diagnosed have actually been <coughs> in tackle football players. So of the individuals who have been sampled and diagnosed with CTE- there's over 200 cases of tackle football players, tw- over 25 cases of military personnel. So people in the military, especially in more recent wars, mm-hmm. um, get a lot of traumatic brain injuries and concussions um, in the battlefield. Over 20 cases of hockey players, over 15 cases of boxing in the U.S., uh, but 50 globally. Uh, five cases of rugby players, five cases of soccer players in the U.S., over 10 globally, five cases of pro wrestlers, and there are fewer than three cases each in baseball, basketball, and intimate partner violence, and individuals with developmental disorders who engage in headbanging behaviors. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you can think like, um, so this is not, even though a lot of these examples are people who play sports, it's not exclusive to just people who play, who play sports. sports. So like yeah. in the example of intimate partner violence, obviously if someone is being beaten repeatedly and getting concussions repeatedly, that might be someone who could develop CTE because it's yeah. more has to do with the amount of concussions you have. It doesn't, it's not necessarily like why you got your concussion, right. yeah. but yeah. did you get a concussion? How often do you get concussions? How often in succession are you getting concussions? Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the theories behind why athletes are so predominantly represented in CTE cases is thought that it has to do with just the fact that they're getting concussions more Especially given the fact that um, in, if you're in a contact sport, you're going to have more situations in which you're going to have yeah. to get a concussion. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's more al- opportunity. Exactly. But there's also a theory that it also has to do with just the nature of what, especially being a professional athlete, but any kind of competitive athlete is where you might, um, there, there might be a culture in your specific sport around uh, not really paying a lot of attention to symptoms, ignoring concussions, mm-hmm. uh, not not using the appropriate amount of time to heal yeah. as from a concussive event before you go back well, into your sport. Especially if you don't show any symptoms, mm-hmm. you're gonna you might just be okay. like, "Oh, I'm fine. I'm, I can keep yeah. going." Exactly. Um, and so, at least in terms of what CTE and the discovery of this disorder has done is at least shined a light 
on some of the practices, especially in really young children who participate in contact sports, about taking injuries really seriously and especially taking the healing time really seriously. Because if we think about the inflammation that's happening in during a concussion, um, actually, when I was look, reading about concussions, uh, symptoms can last up to two, like, I mean, it can last longer, but typically symptoms last up to two weeks in adults, but can last up to four weeks in children. Oh, wow. So children are especially really vulnerable to concussions. And that's, you know, when your brain is in a lot of critical time periods of development. So you can imagine yeah. that getting a concussion <clears throat> as a child or a teenager or a young adult, so before you're 25, is really could be a lot different than if you got a concussion like much later in life in terms mm -hmm, of like mm -hmm. how it's affecting your overall brain. Um, so definitely like, and, and this is actually not like a necessarily a super modern thing. Um, doctors have actually been, especially when it comes to tackle football, have been warning and there have been groups of doctors who have literally called for the banning of tackle football mm, ever since yeah. the 1950s. Since the 50s. Yes. Wow. So it's not necessarily like a just now thing. It's definitely been kind of a, a, a contentious situation between sports and the medical establishment mm -hmm. and when it comes to, uh, uh, I mean, especially head injuries. And the reason tackle football really gets a lot of attention and you know, might be why so many diff so many of the cases are associated with tackle football players. It's just the nature of the sport and how often those players in particular are getting concussions. Can we take a break for a second yeah. and explain to the foreigner something? Yeah. Okay. Isn't all football tackle football? Or I mean, are there differences? Are there different kinds of there, football? I mean, you know, there's a couple of uh, youth leagues that call flag football, which is um, a little bit different. Yeah. So okay. basically with flag football, you wear these flags around your waist. And then when somebody rips a flag off of your waist, you're considered down. And you have to give the ball. Well, it ends, ends the play. It, it, oh, so, I see. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So if you were like, you know, the quarterback throws the ball to the receiver and then somebody pulls the flag off the receiver, then he's considered down. And then that's when the next play starts. Okay. So... That's what they mean when they say, you know, tackle. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Gosh, yeah. I don't see the NFL playing with flags. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's definitely, especially, um, like, especially in the last 20 years. Uh, so, like I mentioned, the CTE has been described for a long time, but, like, the actual diagnosis in terms of doing the brain pathology stuff uh, really is in the last 20 years, in since, like, 2000. Basically, but, so, um, but I was gonna say that there has been a developing relationship, especially that the NFL has to this disorder, where for a long time they just completely ignored it and denied that it was real and that their players were at risk. To now, where and there's some that still do that. Yeah, definitely, but but at least from what I was reading. Um, so the NFL was sued. Yeah. They were sued oh, by players. Were they? Okay. They were sued by the players. So. Um and there does seem to be which Dave maybe knows more about cuz I don't know anything about sports, but <laughs> there does seem to be some uh regulations or changes in the culture at least around like how you're tackling. Mm -hmm. 
if you do have a concussion, how long you have to wait until you go and play again. Yeah. Okay. Um, but who knows if that's actually really going to uh, ultimately affect any of this. I mean, they're still working on it. So, yeah. I mean, the new rules and everything has only been implemented the last five years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very, very recent. Yeah. So, they still don't know. Yeah. If- and, you know, if that's not actually <coughs> happening and, it's, you know, in like high school football and college football and that would, if that's the most vulnerable time. Mm-hmm for these sub-concussive events and concussive events, you know. Yeah, that's- it's, it's getting worse at the lower levels, especially because they're becoming more competitive down at those levels. Yeah. Used to, like in, back in the day, kids were just running around hitting each other, but they didn't have, you know, they weren't hitting the weights like every day yeah. like they are these days and bulking yeah. up and yeah. being able they're, to and, and like what, hit is hard. And, and especially like when I mentioned how like the, the – since the 1920s, especially sports have changed. Like what Dave was saying is that there's a lot of money involved, yeah, both right. in college football, uh-huh. but also especially in certain parts of the country, high school football. Oh, yes. And so when money's involved, when people are fans of something and they really want to mm-hmm. see it, like mm-hmm. there's pressure on kids to play through injuries, yeah. to you ignore see it symptoms. Warm. You see it in all, all sports, mm-hmm. actually. It's... Yeah, it's it's becoming a problem too in baseball, but not not a head injury, but you know, actual like arm and rotator cuff mm-hmm. injuries. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, so like one person who I'm thinking of, which I watched a documentary recently about, <laughs> is of course Aaron Hernandez. So there's yes. um, Aaron Hernandez is one of the more interesting cases especially when it comes to CTE, because similar to what we talked about in the last episode with the where Christiana talked about the guy with the brain tumor uh-huh. and did the tumor make him kill someone. Aaron Hernandez is really famous not only because he was a famous and talented football player, but he also was found guilty of murder. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after he died, which he committed suicide uh, in jail very recently, the brain bank, he do- his family donated his brain to the brain bank they did a they did they did pathology on his brain and they diagnosed him with CTE. I was astounded when I saw the picture of his brain. Yeah. And what's interesting about Aaron Hernandez is that he was as um um what's her name? I think it's Amy McKee or Anna McKee, Dr. McKee. Yeah. As Dr. McKee described it, he is the youngest person that has had such extreme pathology Mm. Uh that she has ever seen in any of the brains that she's looked at. Okay. Um, And so some people have thought that maybe the reason Aaron Hernandez was very impulsive and killed people is because, oh, his brain was atrophied and he Mm -hmm. had CTE. Mm -hmm. But like I mentioned, you can have these uh you you could die and get a CTE diagnosis but you won't necessarily Exhibit. present with the the, the quintessential symptoms mm-hmm. so i guess that kind of gets into like the research that's going on now so one of the things with um well just to go back to just to finish my point like that's like just like the case with the tumor guy You can't say that CTE alone causes violence, causes even things leading to murder. But that's not to say that that had nothing to do with 
Aaron Hernandez's behavior. And Aaron Hernandez, especially, he was super young when he, you know, went into college football. He was super young when he joined the NFL. And it seems like he, it was well known that he was experiencing many, many concussions and many, many injuries uh-huh. throughout his his early football life. Yeah. yeah. So that's just, you know, just to put that out there. So, um. All right, so we have a pathology postmortem. Now, really, what researchers want to do is they want to try to diagnose this in living people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you would think that with the the development and the improvement of imaging techniques, there could yes. be something, some way that you could look yes, at someone's brain exactly. and be like, "Oh, I mean, you might be developing CTE." Yes. So one of the issues is that so okay. Alzheimer's disease, for example, had the same exact problem a few decades ago, uh-huh. yeah. mm. which was that people didn't get diagnosed with Alzheimer's until they died. Okay. Because it was hard to connect symptoms to the brain pathology. And now what we describe as Alzheimer's is actually really known as like Alzheimer's spectrum. And clinicians ha- now have a... Uh, really detailed descriptions of the progression of Alzheimer's disease behaviorally Mm. so that you can give an Alzheimer's diagnosis early in life due to changes in behavior. And then also there are imaging, like you mentioned, imaging technologies of biomarkers. So biomarkers literally just means some kind of thing of biological origin that you can measure that leads to, that's associated with a disease. So like if, if a biomarker of like, uh, diabetes is the measurement of your blood sugar yeah. after you mm-hmm. like eat something really sugary. How how quick is your blood sugar going up and down? Mm-hmm. That's a biomarker of diabetes. So like a biomarker for Alzheimer's disease might be doing these brain imaging and seeing where the brain is atrophying. Yeah. Um, is there any way to like get information about the uh, levels of tau through blood? I'll actually get to that. <laughs> yeah. So actually, that is one of the biomarkers of Alzheimer's. You can measure these different plaques and stuff in the blood. But I'll get to tau specifically for CTE because that's okay. where they're going in terms of trying to find a biomarker mm-hmm. in a living person. So um, with CTE, basically, we are where we are at with CTE is like where we were at. 20, 30 years ago with Alzheimer's disease. We have a description of the pathology postmortem. We have in general an idea of like what it's associated with in terms of risk factors. Mm-hmm. And we think that if you see someone who exhibits certain symptoms that maybe they have CTE, but there's no definitive diagnosis. And obviously there's a lot of um, overlap in the symptoms of CTE with other neurodegenerative disorders. Yeah. So you might show symptoms, but you actually have Alzheimer's disease or you might have Lewy body's disease. And there's actually a lot of comorbidity mm-hmm. that CTE has mm-hmm. with other disorders. Um, so one study actually has tried to connect uh, um, a diagnosis in a living person with the postmortem stuff. So this was actually done in um, one of the NFL football players. Uh, I don't actually have his first name here. McNeil. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Fred McNeil because his son is Fred Jr. 
What yeah, the- football player Fred McNeil. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So Fred McNeil. So what the, what was interesting about Fred McNeil? So he he was an NFL football player, and after retirement, he his family noticed he started exhibiting some weird symptoms of like confusion and his personality changing. So, you know, he went to they 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 had him with a neurologist, and this is now in a post CTE era where. They're aware of CTE. They're aware of his history with concussions and especially his profession. So what they did is they did a PET scan. Mm -hmm. So a PET scan is stands for positron emission tomography. And literally what a PET scan does is you basically inject a radioactive tracer into somebody. And then you look to see where that tracer is accumulating in the brain. And you can do it really anywhere in the body, but in this case, we're talking about the brain. And yeah. so what you can do is you can modify these tracers so that they bind to specific proteins yeah. in the brain. And so this particular tracer that they injected into him is going to bind to tau proteins. Okay. So in the case of a postmortem brain where we know that tau is aggregating in the cortical layers and the hippocampus and in some other places um, – can we see that in a PET scan in uh-huh. a living person? And so what they did was they uh, they injected him with this radio tracer. They put him in a PET scan, and this was 52 months before his death, so a couple of years. Yeah. And they found they they, had, they did a profile of where the t- this tracer was found, so where the, it's binding to tau. And then after his death, they did the postmortem. Uh, analysis of his brain and determined he had CTE mm-hmm. uh, and they compared actually where the tau was accumulating in the PET scan with the postmortem analysis oh, yeah. of where okay. they stained for tau okay. and it was all it was in the same places so this is just one case study where he had symptoms he had a history of concussions yeah. therefore they did this PET scan, uh-huh. and then after his death, they confirmed the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Really, they didn't diagnose him before because you can't until he's dead. But yeah. then they diagnosed him with CTE after death. And so what that means is that this PET scan using this radio tracer that uh, is going to bind to tau proteins may be a method of yeah. diagnosing yeah, yeah. CTE in a living person. So actually, there are clinical studies now that are happening actively. Uh-huh. To repeat this, but in many multiple patients. Yeah. Because this is just one case study. And of course, case studies are super important for developing these things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that this will be the diagnostic tool that's going to diagnose CT in the future. But there you go. So um, one of the things I wanted to end on with CTE, which I think is really important, especially in today's society, is talking about the association of CTE and suicide because mm-hmm. that gets a lot of attention in the media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons that gets a lot of attention in the media is because very famous people, typically football players who people care about a lot and pay a lot of attention to, when they do commit suicide, it gets a lot of media attention and focus. Yeah. And so what are the actual links between CTE and suicide? Uh, so... One of the things to point out 
is that retired football players are actually statistically less likely to die of suicide than the general population. So even though you see a lot of these cases in the media of a certain football player committing suicide, that doesn't mean that these like that that being a football player and getting all these concussions and stuff is going to make you be suicidal Suicidal, later on in fact if anything have living that life means you're probably less likely to commit your commit suicide (laughs) or kill yourself because of anything like that um i think it's just sometimes it's as you say we get these super high profile cases and that just makes it seem like all of them do that yeah and one of the things that um that is sort of associated with suicide is uh how the media can inspire suicide Mm. so Mm -hmm. uh there have only been 26 cases of nfl players since 1920 that have actually died of suicide and that's out of 26,000 former athletes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and all of these documented cases, I think this is what it says. Yeah, I think um, not all of them, but a substantial portion of them, a total of 42% of the 26 suicide cases since 1920 have occurred between the years 2009 and 2015, which is oh. d- definitely more after this time period of hearing about CT, mm-hmm. of hearing about NFL suicides and so one of the theories behind just this association that we have and maybe why it seems like more NFL players are killing themselves is because it's sort of uh, I don't want to say inspiring thing but there definitely is a link between someone who's already dealing with depression and suicidal ideation they see someone else that has killed themselves and it leads them to want to kill themselves so that's actually pretty remarkable that almost half of these very few cases of suicide in, in NFL players have happened only within the last couple of years. Um, so That is so interesting. That is such an interesting finding. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, the way we talk about suicide is really important and it can really influence people. So, of course, if you are dealing with suicidal thoughts, please, you know, contact the suicide hotline, speak to a professional. Um, and if you've had concussions, don't think that that's going to make you later on in life be just suicidal and that's like somehow out of yeah, your control. Yeah. There's actually very little evidence that there's a link between suicidal ideation and CTE. I mean, that's not to say that when you have like dementia and stuff that there isn't comorbidities with depression. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That definitely happens. But um this gets a lot of focus and attention, uh, but these are really isolated incidents. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And for the most part, most of the NFL players who have died and been diagnosed with CTE did not kill themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about. That's CTE. what you wanted to talk yeah. about. Huh? <laughs> it was super interesting. Please, everybody, protect your heads. Yes. Wear helmets. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that uh, wraps us up for this evening. And I don't know which one we're going to do next, but um, stay tuned. You're shaking your head no, so I guess. No, I want to I wanna do mine when, once the craziness of thesis writing oh, okay. kind of subsides a little bit. I see. Yeah. So, so it's on we, you guys. Oh, it's on us yeah. first. Okay. Mm-hmm.
anyway, so that wraps us up. Thank you for listening. Uh, we enjoyed talking, <laughs> I guess. Um, you guess. We well, did enjoy talking. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. No guessing. It's confirmed. Um, and as always, you can follow us on Twitter at The Brain Podcast. And our website is brainthatnamedetself.com. And as always, if you questions, concerns, or just want to reach out to us, you can email us at questions at brainthatnamedetself.com. And I guess that wraps us up. Yep. Yeah. All right. Don't forget to love your brains. <laughs>